Hello everyone, it's Sunday, or maybe it's not where you're listening to it, but it doesn't matter, you're listening to The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com in association with Starburst Magazine. I'm Starburst Magazine's literary editor, Ed Fortune, Ooh. and I'm here with... Producer Al. So, it's one of those shows where we have <laughs> not been able to grab as many of the team as normal, um, because they're all... Slight chaos. Slight chaos. Slight chaos. Doing things because it's been quite a busy week in the world of books and general and creativity. Creativity things have been going on. So let's see. Uh, I believe Ninfa is off with the Romans yet again. I believe so. Um, I do understand that Dell is doing theatre things. Other people are doing Shakespeare things, and Rush is fighting Martians. So um, somebody's got to. Somebody's got to. Mm. Someone has to save us the world. From, save the world from Martians. You only have 24 hours to say the world flash or whatever that line is. I love that movie. Uh-huh. I absolutely adore that movie. Mm. I think it's as good as Star Wars. Mm. I'm wrong. But <laughs> Slight difference in budget. Very much so. And, you know, general approach. Well, he wanted... Uh, anyway, I could no, go on. No, let's, let's, let's not. Uh, should we do? We should do a Flintdale special. We should, we do, should a special. do a book show. We should do a radio show about books. That's what we should do right now. Yeah, but but they were books as well and com- comic books. We should okay, do a whole flash We should save special. it to the next bit. But this is just the intro music. But that's not this. No. Anyway, coming up next, the book news. So, in the ongoing world of um, celebrity deaths, Shakespeare's anniversary, uh, Shakespeare died 400 years ago yesterday. Um, Quick, somebody check on for Fantas. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yeah, um, the, everyone basically did a thing, I believe. It's a short version. Um, Shakespeare, is Shakespeare book news? Yeah, let's say it is. You learn it, you think. <laughs> you, you learn it. Learn the it, Tempest it. is sci fi, isn't it? Tempest is definitely fantasy. Mm. It's got a wizard, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a wizard. Uh, as is, um, what's it called? Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, it's yeah, that's fame, fantasy. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely fantasy. Uh, Macbeth's horror. Macbeth's got to be horror. Well, it's about, well, almost all of his tragedies are about death in some way, so arguably they're either horror or murder mysteries, and what what's really the difference? Mm. There's a different conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so on the one hand. Yay, Shakespeare. I thought we should just quickly mention it. What also happened that day was World Book Night. So World Book Night has been and gone. Oh, no, I missed World Book Night, Ed. What can I do? Uh, if you're in Manchester, you can go to the very late World Book Night. Uh, Tell me more, Ed. Tell me more. <laughs> when is that? It's at the Fab Cafe on a Tuesday. Uh, traditionally, in case you're uh, new to the show, we tend to not do World Book... The Bookworm does do a World Book Night, but it does a World Book Night not on the night of World Book Night. Because what we've found in the past is people go, Oh, I missed World Book Night. Oh, well, I'll have to wait until next year. And the next year they go, Oh, I've missed World Book Night. Oh, well, I'll have to wait until next year. So what we do is we go, Oh, there's one in two days' time. Just in case you missed the last one, you know, just in case. Um, kind of like a spare backup. 
World Book Night. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, it really does Back work. World Book Night. It really does work. So there was one in Manchester Central Library on the Saturday, and a lot of the people who would normally turn up to our, our emergency backup World Book Night <laughs> were at this one. Um, the result meaning, of course, that ours is going to be a fairly sedate affair, to be honest. Well, you, you want sedate, don't you? What we want to do is give you a load of books and then yeah, have you talk about them. take the books. Please, God, take the books. We want you to talk about those books from once we've, you know, give them to you at some point as well because that means that you end up listening oh sure um also tangentially related in the world of books uh the night veil people are touring <gasps> again they are they'll be in the united kingdom around about october um so good luck in getting tickets for that that was amazing we went to see that last year didn't we and it was i, I was a little bit like nah, skeptical going in and it was amazing it was really good. Really it was good. really good. I mean, we love the novel. We love the stuff that they do. They love the whole, the whole thing. I think it's one of our favourite podcasts. Another one of our favourite podcasts, of course, is Tea and Jeopardy with uh, Emma and Pete Newman. And as that happens, they've got two new urban fantasy books out. Emma Newman, um, who's best known for Split they, World. They are, they are becoming content-producing machines. They really are. So Emma is doing work for Tor and the Tor family, uh, and her new historical urban fantasy series will begin with Brother's Ruin, uh, a fun fantasy romp with magic, death, and more than a touch of Victorian etiquette. Uh, Newman said, having admired the novellas produced by Tor.com, I feel that my work will be counted amongst them. I'm very excited to invite readers into a new historical urban fantasy world. Um, Lee Harris chipped in um, having worked with Emma on the last three books in the Split World series I know what a great author she is I can't wait to see what she comes up with in Brothers Ruin and the last time I saw Lee Harris was at Eastercon and uh, he asked me how I voted in the, well we were talking about the BFSAs and I did actually confess that I hadn't voted for <gasps> anything that Tor had produced oh. which is unusual for me because normally Tor have something that but they were just other things that I'd voted for instead uh, and and strangely everything that I voted for won <laughs> so obviously I'd voted for it's all, it's all your fault it's all my fault well no or more predict- predictably I just read a load of Elliot Boudard and really liked it so <laughs> yeah there's that um, yeah Rebellion uh, the I'm at, sorry just, just going back to the Newmans yeah Split Worlds yes is that becoming a LARP it is um Oh, what's it called? Katie Logan. Um, who, it's such a small world, the world of LARP. So Katie Logan currently holds the rights for uh, an award-winning LARP called Rocket Trigons and Really Nice Tea. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, so you say award-winning, you say? Award-winning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who started that, but anyway. Uh, they're not involved anymore. But Katie Logan currently has the um, the, the control of that. Um, uh, but at the moment, she's doing Split Worlds for Emma Newman. So what Katie Logan uh, does, um, I believe used to do I Read Terrible Things, and now does um, Women Who Lap. No. And we've gotten off the top. Of oh, books. yeah, yeah. So, books, big news. Is but it she, news? Yeah, but she does a lot of adaptation things, is what I'm mm. saying. So that's really cool. Uh, one of the things that's been making us laugh this week is 17 things the Office E. Clark Ward judges oh, have said when they thought no one was listening. So, um, uh, the 30th Office E. Clark Ward is coming. The, the shortlist is, is on its way. Um, we. We were awaiting that currently for for the 2016 awards, 2015. Uh, the 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 obviously Clark Awards, the Clark Awards are always worth a look because normally their shortlist is amazing. You know, their shortlist is one of those ones that you sit there and you go, "Why well, should read all those books?" So last year's shortlist, um, 
I think included Emily St. John Mandel, Joe Harris, MC Carey, you know. Uh-huh. Th- those, if you've only got three or four books to read in a year, those are the ones you should be really looking at. Uh, the 15 Lives of Harry August, that sort of thing. You know, the stuff that you should be reading. So it's always a worthwhile list. Um, but they <laughs> put up some notes of uh, some of the things they've said. I just love this. Um, I don't think this book is science fiction, but that doesn't mean it's not science fiction. <laughs> so basically, this book is a bit like Game of Thrones, only without Tyrion. The other good thing about this book is that it's short. <laughs> My main problem with this book is that three of us can't even remember reading us. I'm going to swear here. No, <laughs> no you're not. I'm not going to read that out on the radio. No, no. Um, Forget the shortlist. This book. I bleep it. Was it? I bleeping love this book. Yes. Mm. If this book isn't on the shortlist, I may have a small tantrum. Forget the shortlist. This book wouldn't even be in my top fifty. <laughs> Teachers into the University of East Anglia. Watch me. I, I am writing territory. Oh dear. See, I think that's a slide dig as well, which I kind of like. Um, they can write so beautifully. They just choose not to. <laughs> I want to not like it, but I do like it, which makes it a deeply irritating book. Oh, I hate that when you sort of start like, reading something and you go, oh, I don't like this, I don't like this. I'll just read another chapter. Oh, half a day later. Half a day later. Um, this deserves to win all kinds of prizes. Just not this one. Not this one. Not this one. <laughs> Somebody else's prize, not ours. Not ours. <laughs> And finally, this was my favourite book, said three times by the same judge about three different books. Um, yeah, uh, see, I can, I can see that conversation happening. I can, it, I can entirely see that one. It's the Clarks. They are they are really well done as a general rule. Um, I'm, I'm generally generally a fan of the Clark Awards. Uh, let's see, Rebellion are recruiting um, uh, graphic designer types, so if you want to work in comic books, that's an opportunity for you. Um, the Science Fiction Foundation are still looking, there's still places available in their 2016 Masterclass in Science Fiction. Ooh. Um, so get in touch with the Science Fiction Foundation website on there. Um, various, going quickly back to Shakespeare, various people have, have obviously, um, various book people in the world have said things about Shakespeare. Uh, much ado about nothing is apparently Elliot de Boudard's favourite book. Um, but you've got to remember that favorite being Shakespeare, favourite Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, but you've got to remember that she's um, a French, so didn't study it at school. <laughs> she didn't study it at school. That's my point. Yeah, but would any of us have done much to do about nothing at school? Because I had Romeo and Juliet. I think I had Miss Manite's Dream. They do the Tempest at school. Oh, that's difficult that's at school. That's cruel. It's cruel. Um, <coughs> um, and we would have had we would have had either a history or a tragedy, and I can't remember what we had, which suggests that it was absolutely awful. You know, I think they made us do Twelfth Night as well, which is a good one, but. <laughs> With much of this stuff, if they make you do it at school and the way they teach it, it just tends to be awful and make it awful. Mommy Blackman, Shakespeare's a fellow greatly, greatly influenced me because I read it as a teen and not only fell in love with the plot, but I also absolutely believed in all the characters, especially the backstabbing Iago. <laughs> um, yeah, 
it's Shakespeare. I mean, you can't. You've you've got to talk about him briefly because he's been so influ- influential on in the world of publishing in general. You know, he is he is kind of grandpappy, really, isn't he? <laughs> even though it, even though it's pl- even though the play is the thing and it's not publishing, it's still you know it's kind of it's ours. Yeah, but, we, and, we but, published the folios, damn it. And but it's also that thing of how much he's influenced and how much it's you know how much words that he probably invented or certainly brought into popular usage have come from him so um you know i've I've been working on a production of hamlet recently and the amount of phrases in that that have become a part of our everyday language you know neither a borrower nor a lender be that's one of his yeah um yeah it's shakespeare it's yeah. you know it's totally anyway we're kind of getting off the yeah on yeah. the clock award shortlist that's coming out on the Ooh. April the twenty seventh. Uh-huh. That's uh, that's Wednesday. Yes, on the Tuesday the Hugo Awards shortlist is coming out. Oh, so uh, we're into book award season. We are into book award season, and we are being prepared to be disappointed because yet again we won't hit the shortlist. I just think you're being too pessimistic. <laughs> I, think you've, I, think you've, I think you've got to be optimistic and go, we could be on the shortlist, we could be on the shortlist, we could be on the shortlist, because I feel that the positive thinking will reinforce the positive vibes and is much more uh, and special, attitude than being defeatist. Special brainwaves will, will head, head, uh, hell, send the, the, their way It's over. that cosmic ordering thing, isn't it? I don't think we have enough <coughs> listeners who actually care about the Hugo Awards, so that's the problem. <laughs> But if you have nominated us, we thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so you're completely lovely, and please have a biscuit. <laughs> biscuits um, may not exist. Biscuits may not exist. Biscuits may need to be baked. <laughs> I will bake you a biscuit. Uh, you see, that's bribery. If I'm like, I will bake you a biscuit if you vote for us in the Hugo Also, we have issues with, with exporting those for EU labelling rule reasons. I'll just put it on, it on it in, like, you know, bold letters, biscuits. That'd be fine. That's principal ingredient, biscuit. <laughs> that's how that works. No. Um, there is a there is a fan campaign to bring back the Star Wars Legends thing. I don't understand this. What's the Star Wars Legends thing? So what is it? Is it a book? So there's a whole load. When Star Wars got rebooted, mm. they kicked out a whole load of the old um, Star Wars, like 20 years worth of Star Wars. This nonsense. is the thing where they've pretended a lot of the books don't exist. They, they, no, they exist. Right. They're just legends. Right, they're not canon. So they're not canon. So they're not part of this, you know, there's not a complicated hierarchy of canon anymore. It's just like, you know, this story about space goths <laughs> from beyond the stars that, you know, interrupt Luke Skywalker's marriage to whatever she's called, the Emperor's Hand. Mara Jade, that's you, the one. You have way more knowledge than I do at this point. Um... Firstly, as far as now Star Wars, uh, Disney is concerned, Mara Jade doesn't exist. Um, she's a, she was she was the Emperor's special pet. She's basically a very kind of very specific sort of character insert, shall we say? So the so the books introduced a whole lot of new characters. Also, the books killed che- Chewbacca. What? And Chewbacca had a planet dropped on them in the Star Wars novels. To be fair, that is going to kill you. Yeah, it's going to hurt. How does a planet drop on you? I'm not sure, because I didn't read it. Right. Because it's always Salvatore. And I just can't The bother. thing is, right, with this whole Star Wars, oh, there's, there's this and there's that, are we not reaching the point where there's so much of it that rather like Doctor Who, everything is canon, but nothing is no, canon? No, they deliberately haven't taken that approach, because legally you can't, it's very hard to defend it. So what they did instead is they basically said, all of this stuff is stories that people in this universe have told. Mm. They're legends. 
Mm. Yeah. They may or may not be canon depending on how we're feeling at some point in the next 14 years. They're they're not true, but we may use them as inspiration for other stories going forward. And then everything after this cut-off point is canon. So the cartoons are canon, the movies are canon, um, and a very small selection of the books are canon. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's a whole bunch of friends, uh, friends. There's a whole bunch of fans who've been raised on one flavour of Star Wars, uh-huh. and they're outraged, outraged, damn it, that all of their special knowledge is irrelevant. Which is news to me because all of their special knowledge was irrelevant to begin with. It's, it's you know, really, honestly. So it's not like Timothy Zahn, who wrote a whole lot of these things, is is hurting for money you know <laughs> and it's not like you can't go back and read these stories again it's just that what's going to happen is no one's ever going to adapt the Timothy Zahn books into movies mm-hmm. no one was ever going to do that anyway okay not happening um, they were always if they ever made more Star Wars movies which they're doing now they were always you know they are always going to go for it again um, oh I've just seen a thing oh what's the thing uh Abe Books has posted its list of top 10 expensive sales in the first three months of 2016. What's an expensive sale? Uh, the works of H.G. Wells. $20,792. Published in New York by Charles Scribner and Sons in the 1924. 28 volumes bound in a brown half Morocco number... Um, 524 of 1,050 copies signed by the author. Whoa. By Wells. Wow. Okay, right. How old is that then? Um, we're 1924. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. The that, Lord, I, yeah, okay, I'm seeing why that costs that much. The Lord of the Rings trilogy mm-hmm. by J.R. Tolkien. Yep. $8,069. That's okay. Christopher Lee's personal copies of Tolkien's fa- famous books. Wow. Um, what, what? Okay. So, uh, they're, they're all first editions. No, the Fellowship is the fourth impression. Uh, the Return of the King is the first edition, first impression. <laughs> Two Towers is the second impression. So they're all from 1955. Lee had signed all three books. There's also a loose. Hang on, who signed all three? Lee. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Uh, there's also loosely inserted pages of notes on hotel paper. They appear to be notes by, uh, to himself um, on the books where he sat down with a copy of the Cimmerillion and worked it out. Oh, my word. And sat down and done... This, basically, he's, he's written notes as he's gone through it. And he's trying to work out the, the old... where where the house he all is, who Gimli is, blah, blah, blah. These appear to be personal notes and also production notes when he's been going through the script of the movie. <gasps> so there wow. we go. Uh, and uh, 2001 Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke um, uh, 1968 first, first edition um, inscribed by the author to Robert O'Brien who was then the president of MGM um, uh, to Bob O'Brien with many thanks for my appreciation of his support Arthur C. Clarke that went for $7,500 I kind of want it's, pres- it's interesting isn't it the different prices different things go for I can understand why the complete works of H.G. Wells went went for so much because it's you know it's so rare um, yes absolutely and it's also quite large and it's so <laughs> old 
One. You could kill a man with this book. You could kill at ten thousand dollars. Yes, you could, you could <laughs> kill a small small army. To be honest with those, um, you know, if you to be fair, some of the books that come to Bookworm Towers, you could kill a small man with. I, I think we've already had the cat murdered at least. The, the Joe Hill one, the fireman. Oh my god! You, I was expecting the, the that to be the trauma with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually almost broke my foot. Um, but that's because I'm quite clumsy. How uh, many postmen have Bookworm Towers worked its way through now? Uh, Four. Yeah. Uh, current guy has a reinforced spine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> See, this is why. This is why they give them those little trolleys. It is. The, the trolleys don't help. Um, no, the, but the, but they, the, you know, it's the fact that they're devising a system now where, where they take the trolley all the way up to the letterbox and then have a mechanical lifting system. Uh, the Impossible Fortress is to debut uh, on Faber and Faber. Um, was that the time? Was that the end, of, the end of expensive books? Yeah, oh. I mean, I could go on, no, but there's, there's loads of them. I, I kind of, you know, there's, there's other stuff. I mean, there was like a botany, botany book, which looks absolutely gorgeous, and the complete works of Oscar Wilde went as well. Only 80 copies were printed, and that went for $16,500 and wow. so on. So, yeah, but, you know, when we head towards the realms of general literature, if you see what I mean. I mean, there's a there's an early task there's 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 an early Tashkin here as well. Oh. So yeah, sumo by Helmut Newton, which is you know the the big literally the one that is a coffee table, that huge <laughs> Tashkin one with the naked lady on the front that I think was in every single home in the seventies. Uh, say seventies, I mean the nineties. Um, I'm raising a physical eyebrow because I don't. Recall that. Do you not remember that whole trend of huge coffee, coffee table books? I remember the trend of huge coffee table books, and I remember the Madonna one. Yeah. Because everybody remembers the Madonna one. But that's our whole thing. It didn't just have to be a coffee table book. It had to have a black and white cover. Yes. And it had to have nudity. But tasteful nudity. Tasteful nudity, but still nudity. Mm. It's mm. still nudity. I don't care how tasteful it is. It's still boobs. Or willies. Or both. You know, it's, it, which is fine. But it's about the art. But it's about the art, dear. No, it's, it's you know, yes, it is about the art, and I appreciate the, the, the human naked form, etc., 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 but let's not pretend that there's also a picture of a naked person in the front room. Which is fine, but still. <laughs> um, yeah... Uh, oh, oh yes, the Impossible Fortress <laughs> debut no, uh, novel by Jason Rekulak. Rekulak? I'm going to uh, predict that you've just pronounced both of those names incorrectly. Probably Jason, I can pronounce. Yay. Jason Rekulak. Um, set in 1987, its coming age story follows Billy and his two friends for their quest for a copy of, of the latest Playboy. Oh. Tasteful, tasteful news today. Uh, it's cover stars Vanna White, the Wheel of Fortune presenter. Uh, along the way, Billy Bonds with fellow computer, uh, computer geek Mary over a game called The Impossible For Fortress, and soon realised that there was more to her than meets the eye. Um, okay, it's it, it's going to go through Quirkus. Uh, sorry, through Quirk books. He did Pride and Prejudice uh, versus Zombies. So the implication oh. is there that it heads towards the realms of genre rather than the realms of just a normal boring coming of age story talking of uh, coming of age stories that are also kind of interesting Dead Leaves which we absolutely adored on the show a little while ago is apparently being adapted into a small movie remind me which one Dead Leaves was it's the one about the the teenagers who are desperate to get their hands on a copy of the evil dead yeah that struck me as movie movie potential and like you know, there's a fight on the beach and this sort of thing, and it gets really kind of nasty. And it's all about small towns and trying to, you know, the base. Oh, the whole, the whole Hollywood loves stuff about small towns. Well, it's a, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a, the thing is it's going to be a small movie, small British indie movie. Oh. I, I gather. Um, 
but the inspiration so Norfolk beaches them well the inspiration is is the Evil Dead which of course is famously an indie movie produced on a shoestring budget of pretty much nothing that made stars of almost everyone involved mm. so please don't break the studio sorry um, yeah we... this, these things cost £3.32 on Amazon it's on my wish list right now what, the pop shield? Yeah. Uh, we should explain what a pop shield is, or we, we don't no, have to. No. It's basically a sieve that sits in front of the microphone. Have we run out of news? Probably. Probably. Shall we move on? Let's do that. This is Fab Radio International. Across the world. say that if you ever have any exciting book news for us you can get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr to share that news with us You can You can indeed uh, You can get in touch with us in all sorts of different ways as well So a little while ago on the show we, we interviewed a chap called Daniel Godfrey and mm-hmm. uh, he was lovely, he was talking about his book called New Pompeii mm-hmm. um, So Is that what you're reviewing today, Ed? This book on my hand now. I'm just going to change the 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 headphone speaker uh, here because I'm getting a buzzing sound for some reason. Okay, okay. Slight buzzing sound. It's like we've trapped a bee somewhere in the in the studio. Which we very probably have. Which you probably have. He's probably probably found it. Anyway, the book. Oh, anyway, yes. Okay, so. New Pompeii. Now, because it's me and because of the way my brain works, I keep referring to this. I've been referring to this whole week as up Pompeii. It's not. No. That's a TV programme of Frankie Howard. And there isn't a Lercio. Also. Um, It describes itself as Jurassic Park meets Gladiator. Mm. Uh, For readers of Michael Crichton and Robert Harris. And they're right. But they're not right at the same time. It's one of those things where, if you're expecting it to be, thing is, Michael Crichton writes an awfully yeah. wide range of stuff. So Michael Crichton is best known if you've read, read some of Michael Crichton for reading, for writing kind of thrillers with a techno twist. So Andromeda Strain is one of his, if you see what I mean. Mm. But fundamentally, it's a thriller with a kind of every man who has a very specific skill. Mm-hmm. Um, who then has to deal with extraordinary situations. That's Michael Curtin's style. If you think about the plot of Jurassic Park, that's pretty much the plot of Jurassic Park. Park. The guy's a paleontologist, the main character's a paleontologist. They're put in a really strange and remarkable situation. There's some science bits, but basically it's an adventure thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. And Dormant Strain, same sort of thing. Alien virus, some scientists, etc. Um, and Curtin's done an absolute load of stuff. We, we could do a special on Curtin if we, we wanted could. to. We could. He, he, he also... Produces immense amounts of content. Um, well, he did. Well, he did. Um, I can't remember when he passed away. It was some time ago. Possibly this century. Anyway, anyway. books. Uh, New Pompeii is definitely in the style of Quentin. Mm-hmm. In the sense that what we have is we have this this ordinary guy uh-huh. called Nick Houghton. He's a historian. He's a struggling academic because he's a young academic, and most young academics are struggling these days. There's a, there's a. Haven't bit academics of, always been struggling? Yeah, 
and it's pretty much the grace and favour accommodation that's always kept him going. So Nick's in a slightly awkward situation because his father is a disgraced academic, um, so he kind of though he's very good at what he does, he you know there are career difficulties if you see what I'm saying. This is also a world where a company called Novus Particles exists. Novus Particles um, are an energy company. Uh-huh. And they were trying to work out an exotic way of producing energy. And what they've worked out is this. So, quantum entanglement, yeah? Uh-huh. Everything, is quantum, everything has a pair, everything has a quantum pair. But the Big Bang threw everything forward in time, so time goes forward. Right. Right. So the pairings of particles are also thrown forward through time as well as space. Right. So, in an attempt to bring the energy from one to the present, they realise that they can actually bring matter from the past to the present. So, time travel? Time scoop. Time scoop. They can scoop things up from the past. Right. They can kind of do a radar thing, and they can do a kind of radar senti thing. So they can ping the past... And they can sense living things. They can ping it. They can't really view it, but they can ping time. Um, so they can go. Okay, so Pompeii. How many people were living in Pompeii before before volcano day? Uh-huh. Ping. Right. So roughly, they can't pin down the exact time, but they can get the place and a bunch of bodies. They can then bring those bodies. To the, to the future and they can tell the difference between living matter and it doesn't it doesn't explain what how because who cares but um, and also the author clearly isn't hasn't invented this science he's just you know, but they can tell the difference between living and not living matter so basically they sit there and they go there's a bunch of people in Pompeii then there's a bunch of people not living in Pompeii oh hmm because Pompeii <laughs> right then well at this point, they don't affect the timeline in any way. They have no effect on history. Therefore, we can have them. Because they'd all be dead. Because they'd all be dead anyway. Scoop. Um. Yeah? But... Having watched Doctor Who, are yeah. you not creating some sort of paradox if you take people who should be dead and make them no longer dead well this is it because what they do is they then build a replica Pompeii mm. as best they can mm. you're already starting to see the floor in this plan aren't you mm. they build a replica from Pompeii as best they can mm. using the historical evidence that they have mm. and they scoop these people up mm. and put them in their replica Pompeii slash Butlins So it's the prisoner. Yes. <laughs> so there's there's thousands of people wandering around going, uh, and they're like, it's all right, you've been rescued by 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 one of the gods. Oh, I'll not go into which one, but you've been rescued by one of the gods. It's all fine. Um, that obviously there's lots of don't go beyond this area because it's dangerous. Everything's been quarantined by imperial order. You'll all be fine. Oddly enough, human—they're still human beings. You know, they're ancient mm. Romans, but they're you know, 
the 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 as bright as bright as anyone else would be if you see what i mean mm. so nick houghton is fallen into this situation this kind of tinderbox literally tinderbox almost where there's a whole there's thousands of human beings who are lost in time and there's strange the only people that they've seen ever since volcano day ever since they almost died they almost died there was a blinding crash and then they found themselves in a town that's a bit like their town but repaired Well, because bits of their town would have been falling apart because that's yeah. what always happens well, anywhere people live and, and also there was a, also there was an earthquake ten years before that uh, there was probably roadworks and stuff so and, and plumbing collapsing and this sort of thing it was one of the comments it was one of the great things where where is the the the, the kind of the romans are kind of playing with the with the 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 the, 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 the novice people and there's a there's a, one, there's a wonderful bit where he's just like yes couldn't be the god couldn't be bothered to, to fix half the town did fix the plumbing nice <laughs> Uh, it is sort of thing. Um, why? Why do? Why do all these new strangers have pale wrists? Because they've taken their watches off. Why do they all have almost, almost solid? You know, they're all called John Smith, but the woman version of John Smith. <laughs> you know, Bob and Steve, because they're all like. All of them are like, oh, we need a woman name, quick, ask an academic. And they're like, well, this is a standard woman name, Bob Smith. All right, hi, I'm Bob Smith. I, I speak, my Latin is slightly funny, I look slightly taller than the average woman, uh, and my manners are a bit strange. And my teeth are excellent. And my teeth are excellent. Hiya! Would you like some carrots? Why are they orange? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if they even had carrots, wouldn't they be purple? Yeah. Mm. Mm. If they even had them. Yeah. Mm. Do you get much carrots in the Mediterranean? Um, mm. This is great. It's great fun. I love <coughs> the cat and mouse that goes on all the way through, or lion and mouse that goes on all the way through. Um, there's a subplot as well that follows something else um, and more about the actual science bits, if you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying, and the organisation itself. But it's got great... It's just got... It's just one of those... When I compare it to Crichton, I'm comparing it to Crichton in the sense that Crichton wrote really good page-turny, frilly novels mm-hmm. that had that element of mystery to them and kept you going. And this is what this is what this does really well. It's, I think it's a bit unfair, it's very unfair to compare this to Jurassic Park. Mm. It sounds like a very different thing. It is a very different thing, but as a, as a point to navigate, mm. yeah, okay, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's that kind of Michael Crichton at his best style. You can easily say that because it's, because the thing I like, we like about Crichton is the idea and then the thriller. This is an idea and thriller, but it's not Jurassic Park. And it's not Jurassic Park meets Gladiator, which is what it says in big letters on the back. But as most people, most people's knowledge of Roman history starts and stops with Gladiator. Yeah. Then, yeah. then you can kind of see what they're saying. They're saying, well, if you like, do you like, do you like thrillers? Yes. Do you like Roman history with action in? Yeah. Is it actually slightly more analogous to Crichton's other work, Westworld? Yes, it's much closer. Which to m- fewer people will have heard of. Uh, it's much closer to Westworld in the control and interference side of things. I love, I love Westworld. Genuinely creepy film. Genuinely creepy film. 
and also Yul Brynner mm. who I always have time for mm-hmm. um, but yes um, this is yeah it, it's more Westworld meets I Claudius to be honest mm. um, but without Brian Blessed oh no blame well you know he can't be everywhere I think he'd probably disagree with that just he's, at a guess he's not a god yet no uh, hang on is he not a god in, in certain areas of Nepal or something no I'm pretty sure he's not he would have, he would have mentioned it by now I might be confusing him with Prince Philip you might be confusing that with Prince Philip and um, Pacific, Pacific Islands, Pacific Islands yeah. Yeah. move on he did. He did. Uh, Brian Willis did kick the Dalai Lama, the, the Dalai Lama, up the bum once. Is that where the episode of Father Ted comes from? <laughs> what? The Dalai Lama is, is Bishop Brennan. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. No. Uh, it's a story that he tells. Um, the Dalai Lama was being um, naughty, <laughs> and um, he, when Brian Blessed was in that part of the world. Um, Apparently, it brings you into yourself. It makes your your innate nature come out. Mm-hmm. And Brian Blessed's innate nature is that he's really naughty. So, so yeah, he kicked the Dalai Lama in the seat of the pants because he's naughty. Uh, yeah. So, New Pompeii. Getting back to the book, uh, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I want to read more of Daniel Godfrey. I kind of want to see more of this idea as well explored. It's not a new idea in sci-fi, but it's, it's actually quite an old one. But the way the way and the rules that have been set up to tell this story, great, great fun, very promising. Want to see more? Um, and that's coming out in winter. Coming out. Oh my goodness! I've completely lost. <laughs> Uh, it'll be coming out soon. Does it say? On, does it not say on the back of the book? It usually says on the back of the book. Uh, June comes out in June. Um, in it comes out in June, and it's on Titan, and it's called uh, New Pompeii by Daniel Godfrey. industry is an industry mm-hmm. and one of the problems with the book industry at the moment is that it's suddenly become magically much easier to grab electronic copies of things and not have them in print so the yeah. idea the entire distribution network and the entire network of physical books is something that's had to adapt and change mm-hmm. so publishers have been desperate for things that can that are disposable they want more disposable books they want stuff that you can only be done physically oh, okay so, hence colouring books. Yeah. Didn't you have me get your hands on a dot to dot book? I got my hands on a Star Wars dot to dot book, the review of which is online on Starburst magazine right now, yeah. Um, chunky. I, don't, I have no clue how much it costs, um, but very chunky. And, and each puzzle is going to take you some considerable time to get through. But yeah, you, you would have to have the physical book, I guess, unless some lunatic scans them all in. 
Yeah, this is the thing. And mm. even if someone lunatic did scan them all in, what would they get you at the end of the day? Because yeah. you'd still have to print them out. So by the time you've scanned them in and printed them out and printed them out and done all the rest of it, I mean, okay, we, people people who abuse the work scanner, the work printer, to print out all the dot to dot pages from the stores dot to dot booth are outliers. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, um, I, I've my my work career has historically been at small companies where you know you can print anything you like for the printer and nobody cares. I've recently done um, a small fixed term contract for a very big company, and they had printer monitoring. Most places, and do. I'm guessing that m- more people work at big companies or the, or at places that have those sort of systems in place than work at small places who have kind of uh, decided for their own reasons um, not to care about that stuff or not to try and implement anything like that. Well, it's 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 also so right. yeah. So I could I could not have printed. I don't believe we're talking about actually pirating books, but we are. We're talking about the yeah, possibilities, I, aren't we? Yeah, I, I you know practical. I I couldn't I would not have been able to print off fifty pages of a book, say, at my last contract and um, I think without you, getting like probably fired. I think if you are doing that, you, as you say, you're going to get fired, and quite rightly so, because you're essentially you know using someone else you're stealing someone else's resource to steal something else from someone else yeah that's that's, is, that's a lot of levels of stealing that, that's theft inception really isn't it yeah so for that cost and it's like it's going to be like 12 quid isn't it it's £10.68 no, on ten, the Amazons 10 quid so for 10 quid you've got what £10.99 RRP so 11 quid so, it's going to cost you more than that in resources to pirate it if you're having to pay for those resources yourself so the stores dot dot to dot for example um is one that would take you what? Twelve hours. Apparently, it's got one hundred and twenty-eight pages. Now, the solutions are at the back of that and take up, um, I don't know, maybe a dozen or fifteen odd pages. But you, you must be a uh, hundred puzzles. And okay, I, I am probably not the world's fastest puzzler, but the first one I did probably took me an hour because these these are complex puzzles and the dots are flipping tiny. That's what the numbers are tiny. More to the point. Um, and it's not your standard easy level dot to dot. There's you kind of got to figure out what's going on with the numbers and stuff. It's like one to two hundred and five, isn't it? And then oh, and the rest, and the rest. And then there's another, another set of dots in different colours. Yeah, and it's like that sort of thing. Same with the colouring books. So I mean, we we can be very sniffy about the colouring books. I like the colouring books, but the colouring books are are there as a meditation. They're and there, yeah, and that's thing. hours and hours and hours of of stuff. And, you know, it's very well, it's all very well and good for us to sit there and go, oh, but they don't tell a story. Do you know what? Someone will work out how to do that. But not all, yeah, not all books have to do that, you know. And uh, the Star Wars Art Therapy Colouring Book um, is ten pound, is on RRP of £10.99. Um, and again, it's 128 pages. Um, and most of that is going to be things for you to colour. So again, it's going to be, you know, 120 odd things to colour. And they're really detailed as well, because we've seen that for the review bandwagon effectively that people have gone because the, the adult colouring books started off as one thing which was the patterns and stuff and now they've gone very specifically into the realm of TV shows so there's a Doctor Who one um, which I haven't seen there's a Sherlock one which I have seen there's the Star Wars one uh, my, my you know favourite TV show if you're a long term listener Miss Fishers is launching a colouring book in the next two or three weeks so that's even got one there's you a know. Miss Fishers colouring there's book there's a Miss Fishers colouring book um, just quickly going through some of the stuff that's coming out soon, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone that um, Escapology by Ren Morum is out on Titan Books in June. Um, I'd, 
you might have heard me talk about The Lonely Dark a little while ago uh, by Ren Warren. I absolutely adored that. Um, such a sombre, such a lovely novella. One of my arguments as to why the Hugo Awards novella category is nonsense. Mm. Because Lonely Dark is amazing. And no one's read it. <laughs> it's out on Fox Spirit. No one's read it. <coughs> I've met. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've met at least ten percent of the people who have read it. Well, this is the thing. When when we get to awards, and we have these categories for short stories and novellas and things. I always wonder how on earth anybody has found things to nominate. It's like there is this story on this website. It's like how have you found this? Well, well, Tor specifically, and people complain about this, but Tor specifically game this. So Tor do the thing where they put novellas on their website for people to read, mm-hmm. and then they get the buzz going. And then people do the thing where they say, um, well, I've, I've not got any novellas to, to nominate, I've not read any, and someone goes, well, have you tried reading the Charlie Strauss that's on the tour website? And they go, oh, okay, and because it's Charlie Strauss, it's going to be good, because he's Charlie Strauss, you know, he's an extremely, extremely celebrated writer. Novellas are very often the gateway drug, though, aren't they? Because um, I have a friend um, in America at the moment who has, in the last six months, managed to write two novels, um, and is now writing a novella sort of loosely all in the same universe, um, certainly in the same style. Um, and the novella is her gateway drug, is her calling card of, I can do this stuff if you've liked the novella, which I'm giving you for free. Here are two books you may want to pay me for. Well, I mean, it's the same with, I mean, it's the same with Ren Warren here, where she's, she's written, Escapology is a, is a cyberpunk novel about an outsider who's, you know, put into a world they don't understand and they're a huge thief. The, the, the main character's a thief who, d- the, the, the main character is a thief who's, gets, you know, dragged into a series of complex sci-fi conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Lonely Dark is about one person and a spaceship and an AI. You know, and it's that same sort of, it's the same kind of self-person idea style. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I can, I, I can see what you're saying. But no one's read a lonely dark because it's on because you had to pay 99p or whatever it was through Fox Spirit books Ooh. but you should read it because it's really good and yeah okay now she's got an, a deal with Titan books and all the rest of it the the issue isn't it of, of sort of 99p for short stories and things and whether people will pay it or not is absolutely fascinating the, that's the other side of things as well Nine Fox Gambit we've got that to read I've got it's, that it's, read. it's like um, somebody we um, know said on Facebook the other week which was that you know you'll happily sink £4 for a coffee every day that you will have dealt with in 20 minutes but then you look at an app which you're going to use for hours and hours and hours and go ooh £2.99 <sighs> not sure but I need that coffee I need that coffee because I'm falling asleep and I want to continue to work. I need it, it, it. I understand what you're saying. You're saying, "Oh, it's a cup, put the the price of a cup of coffee." But I don't need books to live. I need books to be me. I need books to be a human being. I need books to definitely be Ed Fortune. But I don't need the book as much as I need the coffee after only sleeping for three hours. Which is, you know, sort of your your problem because of your lifestyle choice. But you see my point. Yeah. Um, Nine Fox Gambit is out on Solaris. We've got that. It's currently on the uh, the Bookworm bedside at the moment. It's mm. the one I'm reading at this almost reread instead of uh, New Pompeii. Um, 
it's space opera <laughs> it's space opera of explosions and spaceships man I love it um, uh, written by Yun Ha Lee um, it's it's basically uh, it's like Antonio Judge Justice but with more explosions <laughs> um, which is a ridiculous thing to say because if you have not read Antonio Justice that's not funny but anyway um, no it's got it, it basically there there it's a space opera a space space captain is told to you know this is your last chance you need to go and talk to this the, this officer dude and all the rest of it and he's just like oh man I'd forgotten how much fun sci-fi can be uh, let's see what's going on uh, the synonymous and psychic Grief is by Lisa Tuttle. It's coming out on Joe Fletcher Books again in June. Um, Tuttle is back with more uh, charm. Lisa Tuttle just like does that kind of charming kind of bimbly, doesn't she? Really well. Uh, Victorian tale of sleepwalking, eldritch abilities, and deception. Her latest novel tells the tale of Miss Lane, a former. Oh, this is the one where. The, the main character used to work for a psychic but the psychic was a massive fraud mm. and then they actually get they, they basically meet a kind of Sherlock Holmes style person and they end up uh, basically ghost busting what? yeah that sounds nuts uh, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of different ideas yeah it's this little issue I'm really good at doing that <coughs> really good at doing that sort of um, general throw into things um, so yeah, there's an absolute massive load of stuff coming out soon. Um, are we? Do we have space to talk about more books? We do, but let's have a little ad ready thing first. So what do we what do we reckon? Um, do we think we're going to get a normal everyday Hugo Awards display of bits and pieces, or are we going to get some sort of random controversy? Um, oh, I'm 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 saying we're getting controversy. That many ballots, we're what, getting controversy. What do you think the next? Because let let's be blunt. Every time the Hugo Awards come out, there is some sort of semi-contrived contro- controversy that occurs. And it's, you know, I'm going to say semi-contrived, because seriously, sometimes it's just people not thinking, sometimes it's people thinking too much, and sometimes it really is people just looking to cause a nonsense so they can get an award. <laughs> and and what do we think? It's, you know, we've had, we've had Jonathan Rossgate. Oh. We've had the sad puppies... I, I'm not convinced that the puppies are done, but can we move on? Um, what do we What do we think? What do we think it's going to be? Do, do, do we do, do we think it's you know monkeys have suddenly <laughs> decided to, to to enter the Hugo Awards and have started uh, voting for their own special chimp books? <laughs> Something like that. Um, you could say that's actually what happened. Mm, puppies, if you to be I'm just going to speculate, but based on the number of ballots. Um, 
that we may have a strikingly conservative list that may be entirely made up of writers who are white, male and middle-aged. Which is going to be interesting and depressing at the same time. Yes. Do you think that's why the Clark Awards is the following day? <laughs> I think the Clark Awards knows that their list is going to be interesting and fun. And well, that, that 17 things I've heard at the Clark Awards thing does say that, you know, they always used to try and build in an edge of controversy and then realise that they didn't need to because it always was anyway. Yeah. I actually talked to um, uh, the director of the Clark Awards about two years ago. And he did a wonderful talk on social media and using social media. And his general thing about social media was just don't be an ass. <laughs> and he was like, there are certain writers out there who are naturally ass-like. And they will be asses and they will get lots of attention by being asses and by being grumpy. But if you're not like that, don't try. Mm-hmm. Because you'll just make a fool of yourself. <laughs> um... And I think that's a fair point. I think there's a I think there's a thing with social media and with writers because I think writers have this 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 very different sort of perspective generally. If you're a professional writer, then you kind of you're dipped into your own world and your own mind and in a, in an environment that shouldn't be high stress but is because writing's really hard. So the you know, you, you see them on social media just being really odd sometimes mm. and being entertaining and funny because they're well spoken witty people because words. But at the same time you know, the, 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 some of these controversies, controversies that have sparked up in the pri- in the past. Why? The, the Jonathan Ross thing, which was years oh. ago now, happened for no reason. Yeah. Generally happened for no reason. No one honestly involved. No, you know, looking back at it, you look at it, and then people are like, "Oh, well, he's a this and he's a that," and you're like, "No, he's not. He's perfect for the Hugo Awards. He'd be fantastic." Yeah. And the only people who will really object to it are the people who want to kind of build kind of tiny little fanish empires yeah. and I don't like that because oh ownership of fandoms mm, yes how many minutes do we have left not enough oh we can dip our toe in it no we've got we've got two minutes oh we can very dip no. our toe no no I'm, I'm gonna go for it well, of course you will. you shouldn't basically own you can't you don't own a fandom you don't even own right science fiction fandom is the oldest fandom and you can argue with me about that and feel free to free to re, at Radio Book, Bookworm tweet me and say oh no it's nonsense fortune you're wrong um, it's the oldest fandom I'm sure you could say it's sports fandoms and all the rest of it but it's an established organised fandom science fiction fandom is very old it's been around for a very long time um, since at least the 1930s and it's old it calls itself the fandom you know, Fanish things, yeah. the Fanish Inquisition, Joffs and Smoffs. You know, they they refer to themselves Joe fan, which means you know every fan, you know all the rest of it. They they've been around in their little isolated bubble for so long that they refer to themselves as as the fans. It really confuse people with there's a there's a phrase about true fan, yeah. true fan, true fan is a joke. It's a joke thing. It's a jokey thing. It's a you know that sort of thing. But yeah still people insist despite the fact that it's been established for so long they establish that it's kind of the, this this one true fandom and those people are wrong <laughs> and those people get frequently called, told that they're wrong mm. it's like well. oh, it's like it's like this is my wikipedia page it's really not my central oh but I've edited it from the beginning and that's lovely I mean thank you for your contribution 
thank you for being part of a thing that's much bigger than you that's really cool but the point of being part of a fandom is you're part of something that's much bigger than you and that's the joy of it you get to be part of something larger than you you are never as big as it is and that's something to bear in mind as the Hugo Awards were announced on Tuesday is Fab Radio International. Across the world, the real alternative. So, enough bimbling from me. I've been your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm off to read some more books. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune, produced by Anne Davis. Mm-hmm.